Hey, if you're a workplace coach or work in HR or anyone working with challenging conflict situations at work, we've created a coaching method that any coach can learn. The goal of New Ways for Work Coaching is to help employees or whoever is taking it to learn personal relationship skills for productive relationships. Essentially, it gives employees a chance to learn new skills and to change before big decisions are made about their employment. Sometimes they're just lacking skills and New Ways will teach them. If you'd like to know more about it, we offer our New Ways for Work coaching training two to three times a year. And these trainings are a combination of on-demand, which you can watch 24-7, and Zoom training with Sherilyn Knapp and Bill Eddy on the on-demand portions. You'll find the link for this in the show notes below. Sign up at highconflictinstitute.com forward slash upcoming dash courses or email us at info at highconflictinstitute.com. Welcome to It's All Your Fault on True Story FM, the one and only podcast dedicated to helping you identify and deal with the most challenging human interactions with those who may have a high-conflict personality. I'm Megan Hunter, and I'm here with my co-host, Bill Eddy. Hi, everybody. We're the co-founders of the High Conflict Institute in San Diego, California. In this episode, we're joined by special guests, Catherine Matisse, author of Back Off, exclamation point, your kick-ass guide to ending bullying at work. And she's also the founder of Civility Partners in La Mesa, California. So I have a couple of notes first. If you have a question about high conflict situations or a high conflict person, send them to podcast at highconflictinstitute.com or on our website at highconflictinstitute.com slash podcast, where you can also find the show notes and links for today's show as well. And please give us a rate or review and tell your friends, colleagues, or family about us, especially if they're dealing with a high conflict situation. We're very grateful. Now, let's talk high conflict. Welcome, Catherine. We've really been looking forward to this conversation with you. Me too. I've been looking forward to talking to you. <laughs> Good. We have a lot in common, and so I think it's going to be a really fantastic discussion. Um, a little bit about Catherine. She founded Civili- Civility Partners in 2008 as a result of working in a toxic environment, and I think she's going to share a little bit about that with us. Um, she's since served a wide array of, array of clients with consulting, training, and coaching services, and she's written three books. One of which, Ken Blanchard, who's kind of the guru of, of workplace, uh, called it the most comprehensive and valuable handbook on the topic of workplace bullying. She's also been cited in media outlets like Forbes, uh, .com Inc. Magazine, Entrepreneur, USA Today, and she's appeared as a guest on some venues like NPR and CNN. She's active in the International Association for Workplace Bullying and Harassment and is one of the four founding members of the National Workplace Bullying Coalition, which is a nonprofit organization focused on ending workplace bullying, which sounds absolutely fantastic. Um, is there anything we should add to that, Catherine? I don't know, other than my date of birth and social security number. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we'll skip those. But um, anyway, so I was uh, reading the news over the weekend, as I usually do, and I read an article titled, Times Are Edgy, Workmates Are More Belligerent. 
So how do we learn to get along? And the the writer whose last name I'm pretty sure I will butcher here, um, Virginia Bakaitis, she cites a 2021 survey that found that around 89% of employees from a diverse range of industries reported experiencing conflict at work and that they spend an average of three and a half hours per week dealing with it. Um, now, it's no surprise as global anxiety has increased in the past two years that it's spilling over into the workplace. And here at HCI, you know, we've seen an increase in workplace training requests, which frequently have to do with bullying behavior. And I, you know, what comes to mind for me is a recent situation that was rather shocking um, uh, with, with someone I was speaking with, a potential client, and there were accusations of an alleged workplace bully who shoved coworkers into walls, stalked them, and even punched them. So I guess we call that a bully plus or an extra bully, uh, but extraordinarily extreme behavior. And bullying comes in many forms as I'm sure you'll be sharing with us today, Catherine. So first, um, you know, you've been working in the field of workplace conflict as the founder of Civility Partners and, uh, you know, for quite some time. I, th I think you started around the same time we did uh, uh, founding High Conflict Institute around 2008. Is that right? Yeah. That's right. Um, and then you wrote this uh, kick-ass book called Back Off, Your Kick-Ass Guide to Ending Bullying at Work around 2012. So I'm really interested to hear how you got into this line of work. It's a great story. As you mentioned early, uh, earlier, I was working in an organization that uh, was kind of toxic. And actually, it wasn't a toxic culture. It was one individual all by himself was making it toxic. So I was the director of human resources and he was also a director and we both reported directly to the president. So he wasn't my boss, he was my peer. And I personally felt bullied by him. He definitely micromanaged or attempted to micromanage me, even though I didn't report to him. Uh, he would like to kind of yell and get snarky. He Definitely just you could it was clear that he really liked certain people and that if you didn't like him, he made the or if he, if he didn't like you, he made that very clear. Um, so just a lot of rough behavior that was distracting and frustrating. And so as the director of HR, I was hearing all of the complaints from people he was doing this to. And, you know, they were looking for my help as HR. And then I also personally felt bullied. So I was experiencing this as an individual being targeted as well as the HR representative. And I would go to the president and talk to him about the behavior. And the president did what I've learned since many leaders do, which was to say, essentially, he's very valuable here. We need him. Just let it roll off your back. It's not that bad. Why does it bother you? I love to be the bigger person. And I'm thinking, why do I have to be the bigger person? Why can't you just talk to him? Why? <laughs> right. Oh, me. Um, so during that time, I decided to get my master's degree in here in San Diego at San Diego State and ended up doing all of my graduate research on the topic of workplace bullying. So jo I jokingly seriously say I have a master's degree in workplace bullying, so I can tell you how to do it really well or how to get rid of it. <laughs> um, so that's that's it. And then uh, after grad school, I decided this was a problem that needed to be solved. And back then, we definitely weren't talking about workplace bullying at work. It was really more around harassment. Um, so against everyone else telling me I probably shouldn't start a business around workplace bullying, I did. And here I am. 
<laughs> wow. Well, it's just really uh, fascinating how this has grown so much. And you've really, your timing's really good. Uh, we, we got into dealing with high-conflict personalities right around the same time. And I remember a couple of years later, somebody said, Billy, you still dealing with that? And it's like society seems to have changed right in the direction that we all are trying to help with. So, so you've had now many years dealing with workplace culture, dealing with bullies. And I must say, I enjoy getting your emails with tips and suggestions and notices about all the work you're doing and how important culture is. Mm -hmm. Thank you. But could you, could you define workplace bullying for us and what you see as the cause of it? And then I'm going to ask if you think it can be eliminated. But first, what is it and why do you think we have it? The easy answer is that workplace bullying is exactly harassment. So if you read the technical definition of harassment, the answer is that it's severe and pervasive and a reasonable person would consider it intimidating, hostile or abusive. And also that it feels like a condition of employment. So I put that out there as the definition because I often hear that people believe they're different. They're two different constructs. But in fact, I don't see that at all. They are the same behaviors. The only difference is who you aim them at, right? So if I aim them at a protected characteristic, that's harassment. If I bully or harass everyone I work with, then I'm well within my legal rights to do that. All that said, uh, I do put bullying behaviors into three buckets, which can help define it. So uh, workplace bullying consists of aggressive communication, humiliation, and manipulation. And I often see that all three of those buckets are present when we're using words like bullying or probably high conflict individuals as you as you use them. So if someone's kind of a yeller every now and again, we're not calling them bullying, right? It, so just to go through those buckets, aggressive communication is just what it sounds like. Nasty emails, yelling, getting in someone's personal space, um, you know, the aggressive body language that creates some fear for people. Um, the second bucket, humiliation, is doing things like pointing out mistakes in public, sarcasm, poking fun at people, socially isolating them, leaving them to feel humiliated. The third bucket is manipulation, doing things like uh, giving someone so much work they can't possibly complete it in the time frame you've given them or taking away tasks from them that are important to their job. Uh, using performance evaluations as a way to say you're a poor performer, but I haven't been coaching you. So how would you know better? So um, those are the three buckets of workplace bullying. And again, I often see all three of those in existence when people are really using these words around bullying. In terms of the cause, the you know I've been reading academic research on the the topic of workplace bullying from around the world for a long time, and there is no clear agreement in the research on what causes it. But I can tell you my own experience from coaching individuals who engage in this behavior. What I've learned is they are uber 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 focused on competence. They want to be seen as uber competent. And while we certainly all want to be seen as competent, they are hyper-focused on it. Couple that with having low social and emotional 
intelligence so that when they yell at someone or freak out or engage in bullying behavior, they're not understanding the real impact of that behavior. So those are the two pieces. Um, I also have noticed this pattern. You know, you'll not find this anywhere in the research. I have noticed a pattern in coaching these individuals that they're fighters. They have been fighting for something their whole life. And so it's a learned behavior. Just to give you an example or a couple of examples, I coached an individual who was trying to get into the NFL from college football. He was fighting for that. I coached a woman who was from China, came here with no English, no money, and now she's the quality assurance director for a pharmaceutical company. I coached a guy who would always say, I'm from the south side of Chicago, you know, and that was his, he always would say that, you know, so they're, they're fighters. Um, so you put all those three things together and it sort of is a recipe for the bullying. I'm just going to add one other thing to my very long answer. The organization has allowed it. That's what causes it. Mm-hmm. That organizational tolerance or culture. Yes. Well, that's it's very interesting because we often see we think a lot of individuals, uh, people with high conflict personalities, and they generally have this kind of win lose approach to life, mm-hmm. which sounds like what you're describing is they're fighting and they see fights where there aren't there. Mm-hmm. And they see themselves as other people's victims when, in fact, they victimize that person. So it's fascinating, fascinating that you say that. And yet, I think what the words you've used give hope for helping people change and that you can train or retrain some of that. So that that leads to kind of the last question I have is, do you think workplace bullying can be eliminated? I do under certain circumstances. So as any HR um, representative will attest, if you just say, could you be nicer and stop acting that way? (laughs) That's not going to solve it. Uh, It does require that the organization make it very clear that we're not going to tolerate this behavior anymore. Uh, So that, that is something that has to be in place. And so, in fact, when I coach, I won't take a coaching client unless there's a consequence in place. And that's because the organizations allowed this behavior for three or five years or 10 years. And so it's a way for the organization to say, look, we're drawing a line in this line in the sand. It just can't be this way anymore. Um, and then I have seen a, a lot of success with the people that I've coached. Not always, you know, sometimes I, I can't help them. And I'll, I'll be very upfront with the employer who's hired me that I'm just not hearing the things that I need to hear to help me believe in, in their ability to change. So yes, they can with the organization's help in putting a little bit of pressure. Um, and I'll, I'll just say too, you know, part of the coaching is to do 360 interviews. And then I essentially present all of that data to the individual to say, you know, HR is not just asking you to be nice. This is how you're perceived for real. This is the fact. And I found the individuals who take that in early on and are willing to own that. And they're saying things like, oh my gosh, I didn't know this is what I was doing or the impact I was having. They're, they'll change. The ones who fight me on that feedback, I can't help them. And so it's those who may have a high conflict personality that are are those who probably aren't changing. We've, we find um, you know, that they, they don't take that feedback. They, uh, w- regardless of what area it's in, in the workplace and 
uh, divorce, you know, parent education. It's, it's that high conflict person who will say, you know, that's not me. I would not learn anything from coaching. I have not learned anything from coaching. And, uh, they just don't realize that they just don't have that insight and they don't realize they have the impact, such an impact on others. And that's something I kind of wanted to explore with you too is what do you hear from those within the organization who are impacted by a bully? I mean, it's very damaging. You know, the, the research is very clear that it's damaging. It's if you're, um, at the receiving end of that behavior, you're confused and lonely and lost and you're developing anxiety and depression. And uh, in fact, there is lots of research that has found that you can develop symptoms of PTSD if you're at the receiving end of bullying. So, um, you know, that's, we hear a lot of that when we're doing those interviews. And, but then the cool part about coaching is then we re-interview all of those individuals three or four months later and that's the fun part, because then we hear things like, I don't know what you did, but my life is so much better now that that person is not engaging in that behavior anymore. So that's that's the part that feels good. I'm curious to ask you both, you use phrases like high conflict personality. And yes, certainly we could say bully, people who bully are high conflict personalities. But would you say that if you're bullying you're also for sure a high conflict personality or is there a is there a difference i really think been thinking a lot about this and i think it's essentially the same thing because the the definition we have of high conflict personality that we most often use is they're preoccupied with blaming others a lot of all or nothing thinking frequent unmanaged emotions like you describe where they'll start yelling at somebody, things like that, maybe even throwing things. And four is extreme behaviors. They do things 90% of people would never do. And when I think about workplace bullies, many of them that, that come to our attention, they have this pattern of behavior. I was just consulting with somebody Friday afternoon in another state, and they're describing this person, and it just totally fits. So I think in our, in our thinking, though, there's a range of how difficult people are. And as we talk on this podcast, also about personality disorders, that there's an overlap of personality disorders, which are characterized by a pattern that doesn't change, although not all of them are high conflict, and the high conflict behavior, if they don't have a personality disorder, there's a better chance that they may be able to have some insight, some change. So we we never assume that someone's impossible to work with until we've tried. And I think you know, we're similar to you. You describe some people just aren't open to self-reflection. The ones that are probably aren't high-conflict personalities, but have some high-conflict traits. So there's a lot of room here, but I think we're talking mostly about the same characteristics. That makes sense. Thank you. I was thinking, I was curious about that. So thanks for Yeah. And I was curious about your perspective of this. So if if we're seeing some of the same thing, um, I think that's helpful to understand because then coaching, teaching skills, developing new new behaviors seems to be worth a try with most workplace bullies, although some you're just not going to reach. 
Right. And that that's my experience. In fact, I was coaching, I had a coaching meeting with one of, one of my clients um, last week and she was saying, you know, I'm going to make sure that I tell my boss that, you know, she was hearing me say, I didn't think this was valuable. I didn't want to do it. But now that I've been coaching with you, it is valuable. And I, I'm so glad that I get to work with you. And thanks for being on my side. And, um, you know, we got off that phone call and I'm like, oh, she's going to do a 180 for sure versus someone else that I'm coaching right now. It's just, he's so not bought into his feedback, not even a little bit of it. So I've been telling the organization, I'm not sure this is, or I know it's probably not going to work. So we'll, we'll see what happens with him. Stay tuned. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, that's what we see with parent education a lot is uh, I remember looking at the data years ago for mandatory parent education classes in in divorce and child matters that go through the courts. And it was about, you know, 80% would consistently say that they learned something and had some insight, like they shouldn't call their ex, uh, you know, bad bad names, right, in front of the kids and things like that. And they, oh, I'm glad I took the class. I, you know, I didn't want to take the two hours to do it, but I'm glad I did. And then you'd have that, you know, maybe 20% who, you know, roughly, who would say this class was stupid, the teacher was horrible, it, you know, didn't learn a thing, they're ridiculous. And you just, it just follows, right? Um, And you, you know, that what you're doing with everyone else isn't going to work with this population. I have a funny story. About that. Oh, Please. Yes. Sure. <laughs> I did, you know, I, as you do, I'm sure as well, do lots of speaking engagements, right? To build, build up awareness. And I did some, uh, I spoke at a chapter meeting full of HR people and I was going through the evaluations after, you know, and one, one evaluation says, this was so good. I'm so glad we brought her in. She was great. You know, just all amazing. And then I keep going through and I get to another one that says, this is the worst you know, chapter meeting we've ever had. Who brought her in? <laughs> I'm thinking, I bet he's, you know, bullying and she's not. Oh, by the way, the, the one that said I was really great. She said her bullying boss was in the room. So Oh, <laughs> shocking. There's a relationship there. <laughs> you found his feedback. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> it's so amazing. And that's the, I remember early on in this business that that's what I remembered was that I was incompetent, unethical, should never teach again. And getting one out of 70, you know, evaluations like that, it's like, How can I think about the other 69 rather than this one? And what I came to the conclusion was, if it's, if it's one or two, then it's the outliers. I'm not the outlier. They're the outliers. Exactly. Yeah. He, he didn't bother me at all. I just thought, oh, there's that bullying boss. It's fine. All fine. Yeah. Well, it's (laughs) interesting you bring that up because I, I've had something happen, uh, similarly, but it was with a whole group. (laughs) Boy, talk about, you know, feeling like a failure. Um, uh, when you get sort of a group response that's, you know, you're this, this was terrible, right? After having the other 69 that are favorable. And I mean, there's always a little bit of a mix, but usually, you know, these topics, I'm sure you're, you're in very much a similar position, Catherine. Um, this is really interesting to people because it's so impactful on our people's lives every day. They're at work, right? Um, 
so usually the information is pretty good and we all strive to do a pretty good job with it. So like Bill said, when you figure out that they're the outlier and not, you know, it's, it's, it's not about me. This is about a whole group and I can always improve. I can always do things a little bit better, but, um, I, I remember I, that, that feeling of, of, of feeling like a failure. It was almost like a, a group bullying experience in a way. And, and I, maybe that's a little extreme, but, um, I, I find it kind of fascinating. Yeah. For sure, for sure. And and little simple things we find so helpful is telling people, you know, when someone treats you in that extreme all or nothing way, it's not about you because it's not constructive. Constructive feedback says, you know, here's a specific thing you might try doing differently. But when just someone says, you're terrible, this is the worst, it's all that kind of hyperbole language, then then that's when you know it isn't about you. And that, that takes a shift in thinking, but it's such a relief. So my next question is, what do you do if someone really does need to be terminated from the organization? What would be a couple key principles? And I know many people that listen to the podcast are in small organizations, and so they don't have necessarily a human resource department or a lot of other people to go to. Are there a couple key principles to consider? I think there's one key principle, which is that Bullying behavior and performance problems are this, you solve them the same. You know, that we tend to treat performance as if behavior is unrelated. So if somebody's showing up late to work or missing quotas or deadlines, that type of thing, you know, we as managers and leaders know we're supposed to address that. We generally start off with coaching and then we work our way through discipline up to termination if that's how it goes and the behavior doesn't change. I still haven't figured out why we don't treat behavior the same way. And that's something I see in organizations all the time. Why are we not addressing that? So the moment someone starts engaging in poor behavior, just like if they're showing up late too often, you're going to coach them, talk to them about that behavior, give them some resources, talk with them about what needs to change, set expectations. And just like if they're showing up late or missing quotas, you're going to walk them through the disciplinary process up to and including termination. That, that's the answer. It's behavior and performance are the same. In fact, performance is behavior. <laughs> so I don't know why we, we treat them so different. Yeah. And and if you look at three and a half hours a week per employee spent on conflict, you know, you're losing a lot of hours there. Um, and especially right now with the, you know, <laughs> it's really hard to find employees. So you want to keep who you have and you don't want them going somewhere else. And if 89%, nearly 90% of them are saying they're experiencing, you know, conflict at work, it's, it's, it behooves organizations, whether large or small, to really pay attention and to educate and to have good policies and a good culture and pay attention to both performance and to uh, behaviors and, and what people are doing, right? Yeah. And, and you know, just thinking about right now what's going on, the, the great resignation or the great reshuffle, whatever you want to call it, the research is really showing that people are leaving. This is happening because of toxic work environments and culture, um, I believe it was uh, Pew Research Institute said that the top three reasons people leave are pay um, and uh, not feeling valued. And then the third was feeling 
just straight disrespected. And so they left. And so, um, and Boston Consulting Group is another one, the uh, research I was reading recently too, that found the same thing. They found the number one reason people left was the toxic, toxic culture. So um, we, we have to address that. And I'm sick of employers just saying, well, it's the great reshuffle. Everybody's dealing with it. You know, that's not okay. But why are they leaving? Why are they reshuffling out of your organization? <laughs> right. Right. What's, ha- what's happening? You know, what comes to mind is the song, We Ain't Gonna Take yeah. It. Right. <laughs> the, the great reshuffle is, We Ain't Gonna Take It any, No More. Right. Yeah. Um, they're looking for a more positive um, environment and, and a place where they can, I guess, feel safe, safer. Yeah. And more fulfilled. Yeah. So we got to we got to treat behavior and performance the same. That's the key. So that's a really good point. Yeah, that we we need to give feedback as it goes when it's small. And that's how you do it with competence, but not with social behavior. So that's a very good point. Thank you. Uh, You know, I'll add to all of the research is pretty clear. All of the models on workplace bullying and how it unfolds over time, they don't start off with bullying and then it escalates. They start off with things like incivility. Some sort of uncivil incident happens and then nobody says or does anything about it. So there's that little green light of permission. And over time, the behavior gets more frequent and more aggressive. And eventually it escalates to bullying. And then there's bullying for three or five years. And then the employer's calling you and I, you know, let's (laughs) let's address it early. It's way easier. Yeah. And I think there's a relationship between walking on eggshells around the bully during from the beginning when there's some uncivil behavior that's happening. And we just then start walking on eggshells around someone who eventually be, you know, starts the bullying behavior because we were afraid to do something about it. We think it's, you know, not our place. We don't know what to do. Maybe there is not an HR department. There's no one to go to, or maybe no one will listen, right? Or no one's seeing what the real truth is, what's really happening. So um, I think if if we started those the the structure I'm, I'm a big big fan of structure and <laughs> Bill of course is and I'm sure you are as well um, and and having everyone understanding the policies knowing the policies and and having consequences when policies are violated from the beginning would have be such a game changer yep for sure for sure we've been having uh, some organizations become BIF certified which uh, is I I think. You're probably familiar with with Biff. Um, Bill's work around uh, written communication with high conflict people, or just even any within any um, email communication. If you keep it brief, informative, friendly, and firm, then you really calm a workplace. And so we have entire organizations who are taking this training from us, just not in in a sense of how to you know address a high conflict person, but just how to have a really uh, calm and respectful workplace communication protocol. And it brings down the stress. It brings down the anxieties because it's done in a polite, respectful and structured manner. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I I love the BIF model and I use it often in my own work as well as uh, telling others about it. It's a great, a great model. Um, I'm glad you've put that out there in the world. So what, what would you say is the most gratifying part of your work in this space? A couple things. Um, like I said earlier, when we coach and then, and I say we, cause I have a team who helps with that whole process. Um, when we're coaching and we do that 
360 feedback initially, and then we do it, you know, three or four months later, and we hear all sorts of changes and people saying thank you. And, uh, you know, that that's really gratifying and makes it all worth it that we were able to change lots of people's lives, not just the one person engaging in that behavior. Uh, and then, you know, Civility Partners also does whole workforce culture change. So we'll go into organizations where there's some version of a toxic work environment happening and the organizations wanting to address it. So we do workforce surveys. And then we take that data and we work with what we call an action team, which is made up of all different levels, different people. It's a diverse group. And we work with that team and we facilitate a series of uh, brainstorming sessions to ultimately develop a strategic plan for change. And then we help the organization implement that plan where they need our help. And then, of course, we rerun the survey, you know, a year later, 18 months later, two years later. And that's also really gratifying to go through that data and see 60% of people would not recommend you as a great place to work. And, and now it's only 10% who would not recommend you as a great place to work and things. So the, those um, some of those case studies are on our website, along with the coaching, um, some case studies there too. But that, yes, those those lines and the graphs are... <laughs> <laughs> magical art. <laughs> That's excellent. That's excellent. You know, I, I did think of another question that we hadn't thought of before, but I'm curious your thoughts on this. And that is the other is whether we should have workplace bullying laws. And we do some work in Australia where they do have workplace bullying laws. And I was looking recently at two cases, one in the US, one in Australia, that had big the one in Australia had had been considered a violation of the law, and the the fine it was like six hundred thousand dollar penalty for that. And then I read a similar case, only it was more extreme in the U.S. and it was dismissed because there's no law against, like you said, the broad bullying. It's if if it's not personal harassment, but it's on a broader scale that that's legal. Do you do you have thoughts whether that would be helpful or or not? I know this is a controversial area and no state in the US has this at this point. Correct. Except for Puerto, Puerto Rico, the territory, not a state but a territory, they do have a law against workplace bullying. They're the first in the United States to have something like that. So kudos to them. Yes, I do think we should have a law. As I said, harassment and bullying are the same behaviors. If you if you look at that definition of severe or pervasive, a reasonable person would consider it intimidating, hostile, or abusive. Uh, and then, or, you know, the, the harassment laws, or uh, someone feels like it's a condition of working there. So in some ways, and I haven't sorted this all out in my own mind, in some ways, I wonder if it makes sense to open up the harassment laws to, you know, kind of create a, a wider, broader category of just so that protected is anybody. Um, so that's one version, perhaps. Um, but this coalition that I helped found, the National Workplace Bullying Coalition, one of my co-founders is Dr. Jerry Carbo. He's an attorney as well as a professor at Shippensburg University. And he has written something called the Dignity at Work Act, or DAWA, as we call it. Um, so definitely check that out, the Dignity at Work Act. And that law is just what it sounds like. It's focused on creating a requirement for employers to create an, a, a 
a place where people can get dignity, um, you know, which is how Europe is. So uh, Europe has anti-harassment and bullying laws as well, but they also have this piece of law that's the positive side, that employers are required to create a psychologically safe work environment, essentially. And, you know, we don't have anything like that. So that's another version of, of possibly how we go about putting some laws in place um, that that we require employers to create an environment where people feel like they're thriving. Excellent. It's really good to know. Yeah. And I, it, it kind of led me to think about uh, a- allegations and accusations of bullying slash harassment, right? Um, and we're kind of living in an, an era where safety is thought of a lot more often than when I was growing up or in my early uh, days of my career. Um, and while I think it's, it's, there's absolutely a need for employers to create a safe work environment, I'm hearing so many accusations of, you know, I, I don't feel safe around this person. I don't feel safe when you say this. So are you seeing an increase in this kind of banding this about when it's something that's uh, maybe not quite so, uh, so serious as bullying or incivility or harassment, but it's more just a, a personal, uh, maybe a trending thing? I, I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah. So let's talk about that phrase, psychologically safe work environment. So that has been something that you and I, you know, we've been aware of that phrase for a long time. Uh, it became popular in the mainstream with Google releasing maybe five or six years ago a report where they had researched their own teams to figure out which teams were the most efficient and why. And they discovered the number one thing that efficient and effective teams had in common was a psychologically safe team environment. So um, psychologically safe means that I feel comfortable to be myself, ask questions without fear of repercussions and reprimand. And um, so I think our, you know, our, our, I know our need for psychological safety has always been there. Uh, but Google bringing that forward, people took took that on. And then with all of the DEI work that's so popular these days, that's gained more traction through that avenue, um, where people, we just have to feel free to be our whole selves. And that's one thing, couple all of that with COVID, right? That all of a sudden we were seeing the inside of people's homes and their dogs and their children, and they're leaving early because they have to go and pick their kids up and, Hey, I'm going to work after they get to bed, but I, you know, I can't help it. I got to be there at three, um, daycares closed, all of that. So we went through this struggle that I hope the silver lining here is that we're allowed to be more vulnerable at work than we were before. And so we're still fighting this battle of, you know, at home, you're one version and at work, you're some other version of yourself. You know, even you see that phrase work-life balance, it even has a line between it to really highlight there is a line between work and life. But I would argue that even before covid um, work and life are integrated. You know, if you're at a dinner on a Friday night with your friends and you're telling them about things that happened at work and the accomplishments we have at work are a big part of our own self-concept and self-esteem. So it's all meshed together. Let's be the same person all of the time, which means that that work does have to create a psychologically safe place where we can be ourselves all of the time. Um, and it's it's just not, it's not a focus on, I think a lot of times we get focused on the one person, like the the high conflict individual or the person engaging in bullying, that they're they're the problem. Let's address them. 
But again, they're doing that in the context of your organization. So there's a reason they feel comfortable to act that way, right? And recognizing the damage that it causes. And um, so, yes, I do think there's been an uptick in in bad behavior because people are more stressed, uh, because we're isolated, we're burned out. There's just all of this, all of those risk factors that research says creates the opportunity for bad behavior or facilitates it that all of that's happening. Right? <laughs> so, um, and I, you know, I have a Google alert on um, abusive conduct and sometimes I get emails from Google that searches for that phrase have gone up um, 113% since last week or 300% since last week. And it's not every week, but um, just that one email is a good indicator that we're, we're frustrated, but we need to have a lot more grace for each other. Yeah, I think I, uh, that's absolutely true. And I can recall a, <clears throat> uh, someone I was working with who who made some allegations of uh, or filed with HR um, a complaint of workplace harassment and bullying against another em- employee. And I, I researched the entire complaint and it was really a non-complaint. It just did not have merit. But you know, it created so much stress within the workplace, right? Just because there was now this investigation around it and, um, and everyone knew it. <laughs> so I think, um, we have to have workplace, you know, laws and policies and, and all of that, but we have to be careful to not overuse or abuse them as well. Agreed. And, and when you look at old, videos of I'm sure you've heard of the Healthy Workplace Act that I feel like it's kind of died down. I don't I don't know what's going on with that. I haven't seen as much on that lately. But if you watch some of the old um, conversations about it with legislatures, they're, they're saying things like, well, we can't dictate people be civil at work. We can't dictate, you know, we're all going to have a bad day. And things like that. And it's just so missing the point. That's, you're right. We can't dictate people having a bad day. (laughs) We can, though, require that in general, we treat each other respectfully. And that if there is disrespect or bullying or harassment, that people should feel psychologically safe to bring it up. And that's what we're trying to dictate with the law, whether it's that law or the DAWA. You know, it's, it's not about micromanaging people's civility. That's not what we're trying to accomplish. And there it is. Mic drop. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. excellent. <laughs> I love it. Yes. So, well, Catherine, this has been fantastic. And it's just really, really lovely to, to talk with you and um, to know you've done so much research and you know all the stats of what's happening and really have your finger on the pulse of, of particularly incivility and building in the workplace. So thank you for sharing that with us today. And we know that it's not going anywhere. So organizations really need to pay attention and adapt to address what's what's really happening and and to get uh, you know their organizations in shape. Um, for our listeners, you'll find a link to Catherine's book in the show notes. Uh, the book again is called Back Off: Your Kickass Guide to Ending Bullying at Work, and we'll also put a link to her website. And Catherine, why don't you go ahead and tell us what that is and where else we can find you? Sure, civilitypartners.com, where your partners in civility. So civilitypartners.com. I also have a ton of courses on the LinkedIn Learning Library, so check me out there. And they they often release them for free. So if you don't have a premium 
account, you can still watch some of them there. They make them free every now and again. Um, but I'm all over the internet. Google me, send me a carrier pigeon. <laughs> great, great. Thank you so much. Love your positive attitude. Thank you. For sure. For sure. And thanks again for having me. Um, you know, you you all are, I, I'm big fans of yours and appreciate all of the work that you're doing as well. So mutual uh, respect here. And I'm honored to, to be here with you. So thank you. Uh, thank you very much. It's been been fantastic. Next week, we're going to switch gears away from the workplace and over into the world of distinguishing between true and false allegations as we examine the legal case between Johnny Depp and his ex-wife, Amber Heard, who are, you know, if you haven't heard it, um, <laughs> uh, they're suing each other for millions over allegations of domestic violence, substance abuse, lost income and reputational damage. So who's telling the truth? You know, we'll, we'll examine it. We'll, what's going on? Um, how can a court or jury know who's telling the truth and who's lying? She says it's his fault. He says it's her fault. We'll examine it through the high conflict lens. So um, if you have questions about high conflict situations, please send them to podcast at highconflictinstitute.com or submit them to highconflictinstitute.com com slash podcast. That's so hard to say. <laughs> um, and if you're enjoying our podcast and learning something new, please leave us a rate and review. We'd be very grateful. Until next week, have a great one and keep striving toward peace. It's All Your Fault is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. Music by Wolf Samuels, John Coggins, and Ziv Moran. Find the show, show notes, and transcripts at truestory.fm or highconflictinstitute.com slash podcast. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. <laughs> <laughs>